following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. We're going to look at 200 years in 30 minutes. Uh, but I'd like to introduce you to my family. Uh, I'm married to Emma. Emma's a pediatric physio uh, in the Manawatu. Uh, Hannah is our oldest, she's 12, she's into ponies and horse riding, and uh, Ben's nine, uh, he's into hunting and fishing, and Zoe is five, and she's just into everything. It's February the 6th, it's 5am, and we're at the 2014 dawn service at Waitangi. We've just sung, Farkaria Mai, How Great Thou Art, in Te Reo. The Prime Minister and Ministers of the Crown are present on uh, the left there. And behind them are leaders of the armed forces. And on the right are leaders of Napui. And, and the public there are made up of church leaders and other leaders from around the nation. We are led in a time of prayer by the Prime Minister, giving thanks to the God of the Bible for the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi, followed by a time of prayer by the leader of the opposition, giving thanks to God for our forebearers who signed the Treaty of Waitangi. A Ngāti Parol leader and CMS board member, Pane Kafia, is asked to sing a waiata. And she stands and sings, Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. On this, our national day, the leaders of our nation, the political leaders, the military leaders, leaders of our tribes and our churches are gathered in this whare to give thanks to the God of the Bible, for the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi. How is it that this incredibly significant event came about? Bishop Quito, who presided over the service, says, 15 years ago, when Waitangi was swirling with protest and acrimony, a small band of Christians gathered in the wee hours of the morning up at the Fari to seek the Father's face and to ask that he would be honoured and the treaty that he brought about would be honoured as well. When the pain and the brokenness of the past look insurmountable and intractable, this small band of Christians believed in the powerlessness of prayer and in the darkness of mourning that God would make a way for his gospel. And I want to suggest to you this morning that God, again, with the clouds of secularism on our horizon, is again making a way for his gospel. I came to faith in my late teens. And is Andrew Greening here? No, he's not. I came to faith in my late teens uh, over 25 years ago, and Andy was one of the people who helped uh, introduce me to Jesus. 
They became an adjunct member of his family, um, probably against their will. Uh, uh, Andy was my best man, and Andy, one of the joys of life, has been uh, your friend. My father is Pākehā, of Scottish descent, and my mother Māori, of, of Te Arawa and Naitahu descent. As you can see, my sister is as white as a Pākehā baby's bottom, and my brother is often mistaken for John Olomu. And I kind of move up and down depending on the time of the year. Clearly, it was summer. And over the last decade, I've begun to explore uh, the role of the gospel in the New Zealand story. And I'm coming to the conviction that the gospel of Jesus Christ is at the centre of the New Zealand story. What is the gospel? Paul describes something of it, doesn't he, in Romans 1, 1 to 5. And if you have your Bibles, I'd love you to open that to Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who, through the spirit of holiness, was appointed the son of God in power. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. What is the gospel? It is a lot more than this, but it is not a lot less than this. I think the Apostle Paul is saying, just as all roads in New Zealand ultimately point back to State Highway 1, all parts of Scripture ultimately point us back to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. His Lordship in verses 3 and 4, his humanity and by implication his historicity, a descendant of David in verse 3, and his saving resurrection. Timothy Keller summarizes the gospel as this. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God fully accomplishes salvation for us, rescuing us from his judgment on our sin and into fellowship with him. And then he restores the creation in which we will enjoy our new life with him together forever. This gospel has brought revolution and transformation to people and peoples, individuals and institutions, countries and continents. And it is this gospel which took me, a violent, dysfunctional young man, whose father promised him he'd be in prison by the time he was 19, to the person in front of you today who hasn't been in prison all year. <laughs> been a good year. I want to take you through three seasons of the gospel in early New Zealand. Come with me through the first door. The gospel forges our life together, the years 1814 to 1823. It's Christmas morning. Samuel Marsden, at the invitation of Napui chief Ruatara, has preached that now famous sermon from Luke chapter 2, verse 10. On the shores of Ohihi Bay, with Rangahau Pa, uh, on its edge. The service concludes with a rousing haka. 
retired professor of history, Dr. Alan Davidson, writes, this is a foundational event in New Zealand's history. This service ranks alongside the encounters between Māori and Abel Tasman in 1642, Māori and James Cook in 1769, and the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi uh, in February 1840. Why? Why? Why is this a foundational event in New Zealand society? Here is why. In the months following that service, at Oihi Bay, the missionaries begin to establish their homes at the base of Rangahau Pa. They establish a mission station into the hills of the bay. And it's here that the first substantial beginnings of our bicultural journey begin. Why? Because it's here that the missionaries established the first permanent Pākehā settlement in New Zealand, making the mission station in the Pā the first permanent bicultural settlement in Aotearoa, New Zealand. It's here that the first European-style homes are built. It's here that the first Pākehā school is established. It's here that sheep farming is first introduced into New Zealand. It's here that the first orchards are planted in New Zealand. It's here that the first flour mill is used in New Zealand. It's here that the Māori language is first studied and written down. It's here that the first Māori Christian Rangi is baptised uh, in 1825. It would be here in the Bay of Islands that Māori would first learn to read. It would be from here that slaves would hear and understand the gospel and would be released and would take the gospel from the Bay of Islands uh, throughout New Zealand. It is here at Oihi Bay in the Bay of Islands at the side of the Marsden Cross that the gospel of Jesus Christ is first and forever fused with the foundation of contemporary New Zealand. Come with me through the next door. Here the gospel frames our life together and these are the years 1823 to 1860. In these years, 70,000 portions of scripture have been printed and distributed throughout the Māori population. Over half the Māori population have come under the influence of the Christian gospel. It is not uncommon in the 1830s for Pākehā missionaries to go into an area and to find worshipping congregations. I hear many praying for revival, not knowing that one of the most significant works of God in the world has already happened on these islands. And it's into that context that the gospel shapes profoundly the Treaty of Waitangi. The gospel had motivated many in William Wilberforce's Clapham sect, as you know, to fight against slavery. What is less well known is their hearts turn as, as the fight against slavery is being won, turns towards the plight of indigenous people, turns towards the Pacific, and turns towards Māori. And they advocate in the British Parliament 
for a treaty to protect Māori. Many of us will know those famous words by Hobson as he says to each chief, as each chief comes to put his mark on the treaty at the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi. Ha'iwi tahi tato, we are now one people. What is less well known is that Professor Peter Lynham, one of our most respected historians, suggests those words were given to him by the missionary Henry Williams and are a loose translation of Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Can I suggest to you that at the heart of the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi is the heart of the gospel, the cross of Jesus Christ? Can I suggest to you that the majority of chiefs who signed and would sign had now come under the influence of the gospel, many being followers of Jesus. And they saw in the treaty, being signed with a, a Christian queen, midwifed by Christian missionaries, that the treaty was actually a covenant. A covenant with all the weight of the biblical covenants. There would be many tribes but all would be one under God. That view of the treaty as covenant would echo for decades in New Zealand. 20 years later, here in Auckland, there would be the Komaramara Conference. 500 chiefs would gather. And what would they reaffirm? They would reaffirm that 20 years ago, they signed the Waitangi Covenant. But come with me through the third door. These are the years 1860 to 1870. And these years are marked by a falling away from the gospel. Samuel Carpenter writes, From the 1860s, with the influx of settlers and the development of a colonial government, there would be, and, and the diminishing role of the missionary community, there would be a large falling away by Māori from the gospel. At the same time, the settlers' hunger for land and its escalation into the land wars would, in the eyes of Māori, be a great betrayal of the Christian gospel and the treaty undergirded by the gospel. The complex and compassionate responses of the missionaries would, in the eyes of Māori, compromise them deeply. How do I think about our painful past? I'm really proud to be a Kiwi. Very grateful. Often get teary at the singing of the national anthem, especially after we win the rugby. Um, but how do I think about the musket wars? How do I think about uh, the breaches of the treaty and the, and the Crown and the Church's complicity in it? I remember my father in the midst of a horrific argument with my mother, picking up a coffee table, a big coffee table, 
and hauling it through a closed uh, set of ranch sliders on, on the second story of our home. I can remember being called into my parents' bedroom night after night and asked, who are you going to live with? Who are you going to live with? I can remember coming, starting to come to faith in my early teens and crying out to God in tears, bring my parents back together, and they never did. I have thought much about this in my adult life, and I cannot find uh, any happy childhood memories. But I do not resent any of it, because I believe God in his goodness used all of it to bring me to the Lord Jesus, which is true truth, real beauty, life and treasure, immeasurable. And I want to encourage you that I have come away from the last two Waitangi days at Waitangi, sensing that another window of gospel opportunity is opening in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And I'd like to call that window the 2040 window. This is a beautiful piece of stained glass art from a northern artist. The 2040 window is the year between this bicentennial year, 2014, and 2040, the bicentennial of the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi. These are significant years. This year, the bicentennial year. Next year, the centennial of Anzac, the 175th of the treaty. And just as many of us cannot imagine the fact that our phones... 25 years ago, we could not imagine that our phones have more computing power than what it took to put a man on the moon. We cannot imagine how significant it will be for this society, economically, socially, and spiritually, on Waitangi Day, 2040. These are significant years. In this 26-year window, a new New Zealand is going to come of age. Our principal youth court judge, Andrew Breecroft, was saying recently that today, 60% of our 13 to 17-year-olds are of Pākehā descent. The remainder are Māori and Pacifica and other ethnicities. 60% and by Pākehā of, of European descent, but also Pākehā of all other ethnicities. But in 2030... 60% of our 10 to 17-year-olds will be of non-European descent. New Zealand in the next 26 years is going to become younger, more multi-ethnic, more Māori and more Pacifica. A new New Zealand is going to come of age. And I want to suggest to you, as they do, the wairua tapu, the Holy Spirit is beginning to breathe afresh in New Zealand. The Bible Society normally sell between 100 and 200 copies of the Māori Bible a year. In the last four years, they've sold 4,000. Part of that is the rise of academic research of, of today in tikanga in, in the universities, but part of that is the Spirit of God stirring afresh on these islands. And just as the biblical story can be read in terms of creation and fall and new creation, so too the journey of the treaty on these islands. I believe 
that the treaty relationship is moving out of a season of brokenness and of pain and protest into a season of redeeming, restoring, renewing and reconciling. Why do I say this? The tone is changing at Waitangi. Can I say that Waitangi Day 2013 was New Zealand and New Zealanders at their very best? Can I tell you that the two major events at Waitangi Day 2014, because the weather was rubbish, was the prayer service and then the second service? You may have seen the Prime Minister being welcomed on by name. What you won't have seen is the 20 church leaders, national church leaders, being welcomed warmly by name. What you may have seen is, is the media trying to find anything of friction to report and, and blow out of context. What, what you won't have seen is Napui Seda Rima Broadcasting. Oh, by the way, all media have to pay site fees. And the Napui elders said to Rima Broadcasting, we won't let you pay site fees. Come on in. You're more than welcome to use whatever you need. The spirit is changing at Waitangi. The years of grievance are coming to an end. Different church leaders around New Zealand are telling me the same story, all slightly differently. I've heard from more than one church leader this story. The young Māori men and women have been coming to church and giving their lives to Christ. One church leader in Tauranga explained it this way. Uh, a young guy came to church, came up the front, and this is what he said. He said, I don't really know about things of faith, but I had an experience last night, and that experience told me um, to come to church. So I googled church. Yours is the first one that came up, and I'm here. And I'm going, thank you, God. Thank you, Google. <laughs> yeah. A new generation of the body of Christ in New Zealand are starting to discover the central role of the gospel in Aotearoa and opening themselves up to the role of the gospel in the treaty and, and treaty responsibilities. Keith Newman's book, Bible and Treaty, is into its third edition. Stuart's Tarongapai DVD that Graham's worked on, please get it, please use it in your small groups, is awakening the church to the goodness of God in our story. But I have a fear. I have a fear. As a boy, I loved hearing the war stories my grandfather, Tupure Fraser, fought in the Māori Battalion. And here's a story. In 1944, Lieutenant Hurido Onondo was sent by the Japanese army to the remote Philippine island of Lungbang. His mission was to conduct guerrilla warfare during World War II. Unfortunately, no one formally or officially told him that the war had ended. And so for the next 29 years, Inondo continued to hide in the jungle, evading enemy parties, which were actually search parties out looking for him. And he drew deeper and deeper into the heart of the island until he finally emerged in March 1972. And this is my fear, that many Māori and Pākehā who have lived through those generations of protest will see in the storms whipped up by our craigs on one end and our honeys on the other, they will not know that the war has ended. 
and for the majority of Māori and Pākehā up and down these islands. Remarkably cool things are happening. Remarkable expressions of treaty partnership are happening. Not reported, but happening nonetheless. How do we as a church in this 2040 window work with the Waiarua Tapu to see this new generation of New New Zealand come to faith in Jesus. I want to encourage you to continue having faith in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is still good news for the wounded. It is still good news for us. It is still good news for our businesses and our society and our schools and us as a people. I want us to recognise that the gospel, as a gospel people, the treaty is part of our history. It's part of our legacy. And its upholding and honouring is part of our responsibility. Can I push this a bit further and suggest that an understanding of the treaty and our role in honouring it as churches will be significant in reaching this new New Zealand? Can I push that a bit further and say, honouring... The Treaty of Waitangi, as the people of God, will be a bridge that the gospel will walk over into this younger generation. Listen to these words by Chief Judge Eddie Jury in his Waitangi Day Address in 1989. We Māori must not forget that the treaty is not just a Bill of Rights for Māori, it is a Bill of Rights for Pākehā too. It is the treaty that gives the Pākehā the right to be here. Without the treaty, there would be no lawful presence in this part of the Pacific for Pākehā. The Pākehā here are not like the French in New Caledonia or the Indians in Fiji. Our Prime Minister can stand tall in Pacific forums and in international forums too, not in spite of the treaty, but because of it. We must remember that if we are the tangata to whenua, then Pākehā, and by Pākehā I mean both people of European descent and people of all other ethnicities, that we must remember that Pākehā are the tangata to riti, those who belong to the land by right of the treaty. This is a national Māori leader saying the treaty affirms our place together on the land. I find that so hopeful. How do we practically continue to tell the story of the gospel in our Aotearoa? We can weave it into our uh, services. In Fielding Bible Chapel where I attend, uh, we speak on Christmas Day about the gospel's arrival, Anzac Day, Jesus and the Anzacs, Waitangi Day, the gospel and the treaty, in November, uh, we speak on Parihaka. What are the national stories that we can weave into our year as a church? What are the local stories? How did the gospel come to the North Shore? Can we surface those? Find those? Tell those? Celebrate those? We're a people committed to the transforming power of God's word and its revolutionary impact. And it has had a revolutionary impact on this society.
The Bible Society this year, even maybe this month, are launching a new version of the Gospel of Luke in Tadeo. Can I suggest to you that'll be an amazing resource? The Bible Society has also launched a 13-year project to translate the whole Bible into contemporary Tadeo. Can I suggest to you that'll be a significant uh, that'll be a significant for the mission of the church in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Why? Because Tadeo is being taught in more and more of our schools, and that young New Zealand is becoming more and more comfortable with it, whether they're Pakeha or Māori. And God works through his word. I want to encourage us to identify and resource a new generation of young Māori evangelists. As New Zealand secularises rapidly, it will be our treaty partner who will be able to say things in the public square that Pākehā cannot. Look under the hood of our health systems, education and justice, and Māori have been given a, a prominence and a preference in public speaking. And I believe that if we can train up a, young, a new generation of Māori evangelists, that they will be able to say things to Māori and Pākehā that Pākehā can't. I delight in my children most of the time. Here, here we are. We're about to do the first overnighter of the Abel Tasman. I want you to note the tiara on the four-year-old. I put this photo on Facebook, and someone said, that is a great example of glamping. Yep, yep, yep. They each have biblical names. Hannah, Benjamin, and Zoe. Why? Zoe being the Greek words for life in, in John's Gospel. Why? The Gospel stands at the heart of our life together. It is our hope that our children grow into the, into the convictions and character of their biblical namesakes. They also have Pākehā names. Joy, James and May. People that we are immensely proud of. And it is our hope that they grow up with the work ethic and values of these men and women. They also have Māori names, named after ancestors and tribal leaders, Atarita, Parika, and Hinamoa. And it is my hope for my children that they would gather at Waitangi in 2040. And there would be 100,000 New Zealanders. There's around 20,000 each year now. Many of them have come to faith over the last 26 years because of what the church committed itself to in 2014. That the church that they're a part of, that they come, at, come of age in, is, has a new confidence in the gospel, has a new understanding of the story of the gospel in Aotearoa, and has a new commitment to live it out biculturally and multiculturally. And the result would be tens of thousands of New Zealanders coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me pray. Father, I pray for Shore Community Church. Thank you that the gospel came to this part of Auckland.
over a hundred years ago, would it continue to grow and flourish in this people and through this people to this part of this good city? In your mighty name I pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.